Good morning, everyone. Lovely to be here with you. My name is David, Assistant Minister here at the church, and hello to you as well on the live streams. Good to have you with us. And thanks to Tiffany for praying for us as we come to hear the Word of God here together. And I wonder as we begin, as we're reading through Zechariah, I wonder, how are you going with Zechariah? How are you, how are you feeling about it? How are you finding it? Uh, if you are finding it a little bit hard or difficult, you are in good company. I see a few nods. You are in good company. Uh, you might have heard of Jerome. He was an early church father. He called it the longest and most obscure book in the Minor Prophets. So, you know, you're in good company with him. Um, look, it is difficult to understand sometimes, uh, but hopefully from today's reading, you can see why it's a book that, one of the reasons why, it's a book that we work hard at understanding. Right? It has this, uh, maybe one of the best known verses in the Bible, Zechariah 9, 9 is about a king coming to Jerusalem, riding on a donkey. Sound familiar? If you have read Matthew, Mark, Luke or John, uh, you would have read about this. As Jesus arrives at Jerusalem in his last week, he comes into the city riding on a donkey. Right? And it, what's so interesting is that Jesus chose to do that because he had read it in Zechariah, because it was written here by the prophet. So here's where the hard work in Zechariah really pays off. Okay, Zechariah 9.9 and Jesus riding into Jerusalem on a donkey, uh, that is just what is on the surface. Right? And if we dig around the context in Zechariah, uh, what we see is we find that, that this is signalling massive promises of God coming true. Uh, all the things around it in Zechariah are being fulfilled by Jesus, as Tiffany was alluding to. And, and I reckon it's probably much bigger, much better than we know right now. Right, that's why we read books like this, written long ago, obscure, long books, because they were written for us today. Us living today, it is God's word for us today, so we might know Jesus better so that we might be filled with joy in him and hope in him until he comes again. Right, so it is a bit of hard work though. So, you know, let me ask you the question, did you bring your work boots? Did you bring your gloves? Yeah, no, it's a metaphor. I see people shaking their heads. It's a metaphor. We're going to get to work. Okay, and this is how we're going to do it. Uh, we are going to look at these questions. This is a great way to read the Bible, any part of the Bible, but particularly Old Testament. We're going to think about uh, what did it mean to them then? So the original audience it was written to. And then we're going to move to how is it fulfilled in Jesus as all the Bible is about Jesus. Then we think about what does it mean for us now today, right, as this word was written for us. Right, so if you've got your Bibles, please have them open. I won't have all the verses up on the screen. It'd be good to look down um, and have it in front of you, Zechariah 9. And first we think about what did it mean to them then? Right, so let's remember uh, where we're up to in this book. Um, here's something to help us think about it. Anyone um, been watching the World Cup? You know, soccer. As you, yeah, a lot of people. Sorry about this morning. Um, Zechariah, the book of Zechariah is like a game of soccer. Okay, it's got two halves. Okay, so chapters 1 to 8, chapters 9 to 14. And like a game of soccer, there's a half-time break. Okay, so between eight and nine, it seems like uh, some time. There's been a, a period of time. 
So chapter 8, chapters 1 to 8 was about God's people returning from exile in Babylon uh, back to Jerusalem to rebuild the temple. Uh, They are there, they have returned. Uh, But it seems some time has passed between chapter 8 and chapter 9. And so a new generation has emerged and grown up. And I I think I want to call them Generation Y. Because I think they would have been asking why. Why did we come back here? Why, why has God not done all he promised to do when we came back? Like he said, if we rebuilt the temple, that he would bless us, that nations would flock to Jerusalem to seek the Lord. So why are we still so small and, and, and insignificant and powerless in the world while other nations around us seem to be prospering? Why? Why are these things happening? And they might have been wondering, has God forgotten his promises to us? And so Zechariah 9 to 14 is God's answer for generation Y, right? It is his promises that there is more to come, right? He will restore them. He has restored them, but he will restore them fully and finally, but it's not yet. It's a future thing, not yet future. So these two prophecies, and there's two prophecies in chapters 9 to 14, chapter 9 and chapter 12 begin the prophecies. Uh, They are about future restoration they are about hope right and God gives his people this hope so that they might endure in faith until the hope is realized and so Zechariah 9 today the one the, the chapter we're looking at uh, it gives us three focuses to this hope and that's what we'll just look at uh, briefly together as we go through chapter 9 that God will restore their place uh, God's king will come and God will save his people. So firstly, verses 1 to 8, and God restoring his place. So this passage, the background, is the promised land. We heard of the promised land, okay? Land promised to Abraham by God, uh, land that was possessed under Joshua, uh, land where they had peace from their enemies under David. And there's a picture of the promised land borders under, under David and in peace. But at this point in history, what's happened is uh, things are not that way. It's been reversed. Uh, other nations, sinful nations, are squatting on the land. Uh, and Israel is very small in their capital. And so in verses 1 to 8, what, what's happening here is God is promising to restore their place. He's going to restore their land to them. And so here's a helpful map from Michael Stead's commentary. You can kind of see that. Um, really great little commentary. I recommend it. Uh, but what's happening in these first few verses is that we're beginning in the north and we're moving south down to Jerusalem. And what's happening is God is bringing his judgment upon the nations. Um, and so we'll see here there's three sort of land groups. The first one is Syria. So you can see there in the beginning it talks about Hadrach and Damascus and Hamath. And these are on the northern border of the promised land. But you can see there, verse 1, the word of the Lord is against these places, meaning God himself is against these nations because of their sin. So a judgment is coming, right? And it's coming south. So we move south down the coast to Phoenicia, and there's Tyre and Sidon on the coast. And we see these, these places are rich and prosperous. Did you, did you see in the passage, gold is like dust on the street. Right? Street sweepers are just rich in those places. But have a look at verse 4. 
God is against them too. Verse 4, but the Lord will take away her possessions and destroy her power on the sea and she'll be consumed by fire. So judgment's coming and we go further south and we go to Philistia. This is Ashkelon and Gaza, Ekron and Ashdod that are mentioned. And they are all proud. They are proud. And God's judgment puts an end to their pride. Right, and so we've moved south and now we come to Jerusalem. Uh, this is, Jerusalem is God's chosen capital city. It's where the temple is. It's where he dwells among his people. And God promises when he comes, he will set up camp. Okay, have a look at verse 8. He says, I will encamp at my temple to guard it against marauding forces. Never again will an oppressor overrun my people, for now I am keeping watch. Right, God is like ultimate border security. Okay, uh, he, he is keeping watch. He is guarding his land. And when God does that, no one gets in who is not welcome. Right, so this is God's first promise here, that he will restore the land to his people by judging sinful nations and then securing it himself so that his people will be at rest fully and finally. Right, but remember, it's not yet. It's not yet. It is a future promise. It is hope. Right, then the prophecy moves on. It takes a bit of a surprising twist. Right, as we come to Jerusalem, we zoom in on Jerusalem and we see the people rejoicing as their king comes in victory in verse 9. Just have a look at it. We won't read it, but you can see there uh, the king comes in victory. But he's not riding on a war horse. You might expect he's conquered, he's riding on a war horse. No, that's not what's happening. He's riding on a small donkey, a young donkey. And Michael Stead really helpfully points out that, that he is victorious, but his victory is not that he has conquered his enemies. It is that God has conquered his enemies. It's that he has been saved by God. And that is why he is victorious. And right, and he is lowly, not because of in the kind of the virtuous, I'm going to humble myself and be meek kind of lowly, but he has been brought low by suffering. Right, this is the picture of a king who is victorious, but who has suffered greatly, but God has saved him. This image, it would have brought to their minds, the Jews' minds, the image of King David in the time that he rode a donkey. Can you think of it? It's at the time when Absalom, his son, conspired against him and David had to flee Jerusalem on a donkey. Right? That was not in victory. That was in defeat. And he went up the Mount of Olives and out into the wilderness. You read about it in, in 2 Samuel. And when David did finally return to Jerusalem, it was not because he had won the battle or conquered. It was because God had saved him. And God had brought him back. And so Zechariah 9.9, it's about a king like David. Right? A king who, who is saved through suffering. Okay, a king saved through suffering. But there is rejoicing when this king comes. Uh, because this king, he's victorious and he's bringing peace to the world. Have a look at verse 10, part B. Uh, it says there that he will proclaim peace to the nations. His rule will extend from sea to sea and from river to the ends of the earth. 
right? World peace. Put away your tanks and your bombs and your guns because this king brings peace to the world and all the nations submit to him. Could you, could you imagine having that kind of king and a king forever? No more elections, right? No more voting, no more barbecues, you know, with the sausage, and the, the sausage sanger. We don't have to vote anymore, right? He's the king. He's the king forever and he's bringing peace to the world. How amazing. And God promises this king will come. He will be victorious. He will bring peace, but it's not yet. Okay, future hope. This is what we're hoping for. Right, so we've had, so far, God's place, God's king, and now we go to God's people. What happens to God's people? God promises that he will save his people. So have a look at verse 11. We know it's about God's people because it says, as for you. That's how it begins, referring to Israel. And they are saved. And salvation for them uh, looks like this. It looks like release, return, and victory. So firstly, verse 11, release. Verse 11, as for you, because of the blood of my covenant with you, I will free your prisoners from the waterless pit. Now, the waterless pit is a well that is empty that you can use as a makeshift prison. Right? Think of Joseph. His brothers threw him in a well while they had lunch and decided what to do with him. Okay, if you stay in the well for any period of time, you're going to die. Okay, it is a, it is a prison of death. Right, and, and the prison that Zechariah is alluding to here is, is a prison of their sin. The prison of their sin, because sin that led to exile, that took them out of their place, now they've come back, the sin has not been dealt with. The sin is still with them. They are still prisoners to this problem of sin. And the promise here is release from that sin. And then once you are released, you return. Okay, verse 12. Return to your fortress, you prisoners of hope. Even now I announce that I will restore twice as much to you. Right, so think about that contrast. They go from the waterless pit to the, the fortress of God and his abundant blessing. Right, from the doghouse to the penthouse. Right, and, and now they're a new kind of prisoner. They're still prisoners, but they're a new kind of prisoner. Prisoner of hope. Right, they are captivated now by this hope that they have. And they live for that hope as they have returned to God. So release and then return and then the end of salvation is victory. Victory. Right? What, what is the Lord going to do? He's going to equip his people for battle so they will win. He will lead them in victory. This is what God promises. Verse 15. Have a look at verse 15 with me. It says, The Lord Almighty will shield them. They will destroy and overcome with sling stones. Right? David and Goliath. And then verse 16. The Lord their God will save his people on that day as a shepherd saves his flock. So salvation for God's people, God is going to give them victory. But not yet. Right? It is that future hope God is giving them to look forward to. And look, what, what an amazing hope it is. It's an amazing hope, right? Their place restored. Right? Their king victorious. Their salvation secured. Right? God gives them this hope. Why does he give it to them? 
so they might endure until it is realised. So they might endure. And look, they, they did. God's people did endure for hundreds of years. Right? They, they had generation after generation of God's people passing on this hope, looking forward to it. Uh, world power after world power, kind of knocking them around. But then it finally came. The hope was realised. Right? And so now we turn to the next step in understanding. How, how is this fulfilled in Jesus? How is it fulfilled in Jesus? Well, if you've read the Gospels, like I said, all the Gospels record what is called the triumphal entry. Now just think, I'll leave this with you. Is that a good name for that? The NIV people, they put that in. Just, is that a good name? Now as Jesus uh, comes to Jerusalem uh, for Passover, the last week of his life, before he enters the city, he says to his disciples, go into the city and get me the donkey. Right, and then he rides it into the city. And Matthew tells us why he did this. Makes it really clear. Matthew 21, verse 4 and 5. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet, prophet Zechariah. Say to daughter Zion, see, your king comes to you, gentle and riding on a donkey, and on a colt, the foal of a donkey. You see, Jesus he does things on purpose. He's acting this out to make a point. And on the surface, it is that I am the king who brings peace and salvation to my people. Right? And the people who are there at the time, they get this, right? If you've read it, they are rejoicing. They're laying down palm branches. They're shouting praise. Right? Some of the Pharisees say, hey, you know, don't Jesus, tell your disciples to stop shouting praise. And Jesus says, well, if they stop the rocks are going to shout out praise. Okay? The world's first rock song, by the way. <laughs> Sorry, Sammy. Promised I wouldn't make that joke. But I did. I made it. Stay with me. They, they get the praise. But what they don't get is this. This is not a triumphant entry of a conquering king. It's the entry of that lowly king, a king like David, a king who's going to be saved through suffering, saved through suffering. You see what Jesus is doing here? Jesus, he's foreshadowing the cross, right, where he, Jesus suffered under the wrath of God for the sins of the world. But he was saved by God when three days later, God rose him from the raised him from the dead. He was saved by God. You see, and it's, it's through the cross that Jesus was pointing us to. All the promises of God that we've read about today were fulfilled. Right, Jesus, he's announcing through the cross judgment upon a sinful world. But he's also announcing victory. He's the king who brings peace to the world. Right, Jesus is the one who secured this salvation for his people through the cross by his blood shed on the cross. Right, release from sin. Return to God in peace as his people. And it was only after Jesus rose from the dead that his disciples kind of they realized this. They said, hey, the prophecies were fulfilled in Jesus. They knew these things had happened now. They rejoiced in that. But they also knew that, that there was more to come. They knew there was a future, a future hope that was still 
not yet. Right? They knew and they spoke about a day when Jesus would come again. And this time when Jesus comes, it's not on a donkey. It is on the war horse. Revelation. He comes upon the war horse in victory, leading his people in triumph. And he will once and for all bring us to that eternal resting place. Okay, but, but that is future, not yet. Now, now once we see the, the prophecy here fulfilled in Jesus, the next step for us is to ask, well, what does it mean for us now? Uh, what does this word say to us today? Well, like them, the people back then, we live in the, the now and the not yet of God's promises. Right? We're between the first and second coming, coming of Jesus. Uh, and, and like them, it's a hard time. It's a weary time. It's a time of suffering. It's a time of waiting. It's a time of struggle with sin. Right? And we too can be a bit like the why generation, can't we? We can be like those people who, who are asking, you know, why am I suffering, God? What, why am I still struggling with the same sins over and over again? Haven't you promised me more than that? What, why have you not come back yet? Why is it taking so long? Right, and so this word from, from, uh, from God to them, it was written for us to have the same effect upon us that it had upon them. And that is that God gives us this hope today so that we too might endure in faith until he comes again. And so I just want to point out to finish just two ways that it does that for us, how it helps us to endure in hope. Firstly, it reminds us to rejoice in Jesus. Right? God said in Zechariah 9, he said that when, when the king comes, his people will rejoice greatly. Right? And the king that they were looking forward to has come. We know he's come. Right? And, and this is the thing I want to think about. We should rejoice in his coming. Like, think about a Christmas, a Christmas time. Imagine you've, you've, uh, you've got a present for your kid. You've thought about it. You thought it was a great present. You spent a lot of money on it. You give it to the kid and they don't rejoice in it. They just open it and go, oh, thanks. Move it to the side. Right, how, how wrong is it? When, when we don't rejoice in good gifts. You know what I do with that kid? I say, no, 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 get that, give me that present. Look at this gift. Look how good this is. Look at what it does. It turns and it tweaks and it does this thing. And I want to show them how good it is so they get it. And I think sometimes if we're not rejoicing in Jesus, maybe we just need to just, just look at him and like remember why he's so good. All right, so here's some good things I'll point out. Here's some good things to point out about Jesus. Before his coming, we were enemies of God, under God's judgment. But through Jesus, we now have peace with God, now and forever. Right Before, we were prisoners of sin, facing death. Now, through Jesus, we are released from sin to return to God and enjoy the blessing of that just abundant relationship with him. Right? And we know that in Jesus, we are secure, we are protected, we know that God is keeping watch over us and will forever. We should rejoice in that. We should rejoice in our King and what he has done for us. If you're someone who, who, who hasn't done that, who hasn't received this gift from God, uh, receive it today. Receive Jesus as your King, as your Saviour, uh, and rejoice in him. It is for all people. Come to him. Enjoy life with God today. 
forever. And the second thing that it encourages us to do is it, it reminds us to endure in suffering, uh, endure suffering in hope. Right, so we must remember the fullness of God's promises for us is still future. Right, the Christian life now is not one of, of victory and just one success to the next. Uh, it's, it's victory then. Now it is suffering. Right, we will struggle against sin and the flesh and the world and the devil. But just as Jesus was saved through suffering so too will all the people who follow him. We will be saved through suffering as well. Uh, listen to what the Apostle Paul says in Romans 8. Love Romans 8. Uh, Paul says this. He says that we are heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, which means we're inheritors of the promises of God if we're in Christ. But this is what happens. Listen to this. Provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. Right? So we need to know that suffering is the path that leads to glory. Suffering comes before the glory. But we can endure that suffering because of the hope that we have, because of the certain hope that we have. Like we know that all who suffer with Jesus because they believe in him, they will also be glorified with Jesus. As sure as we suffer, we will be glorified. We have this hope how amazing. Uh, this is what will happen. We'll be raised with Jesus on the last day in glorified resurrection bodies, perfected and perfectly fit for life in the new creation. Right? And, and there, there is no more sin. There is no more suffering. It is a great hope we look forward to. But uh, maybe you can say it with me. It's not yet. It, it's a future hope. But here's the thing, God, God has given us this word today so that we might hope, right? So that we might endure, right? So keep your eyes always upon this hope. Be someone who is just captivated by this hope. Right? Be someone who dreams about it, who thinks about it often. Uh, even better, uh, be someone who reads about it often it is in God's word for us, this hope. And God has given it to us so we might be filled with joy and hope in Jesus and we might endure through suffering until he comes again. I'm looking forward to that. Are you? You looking forward to this? Yeah. Amen. Uh, I'm going to invite up the music team. Uh, we're going to sing our next song. Uh, it is a great song. And um, I just want to pray for us now. I want to pray that, uh, giving thanks to God and pray that he would put that hope before us. Let's, let's pray together before we sing. Heavenly Father, we are so thankful for your word. Uh, we are thankful uh, for Jesus who has come, your king, who brings peace. Uh, Lord, we are thankful that he suffered for us in our place, uh, but that you saved him and he rose again. Father, I pray that we would rejoice in him uh, as we think about uh, all the things that he has won for us and the victory that he gives. And I pray, Father, that you would uh, put before us this hope. Uh, may it ever be before us. May we be captivated by it. 
so that we might be those people who are able to endure the suffering of this life and come at last to be glorified with the Lord Jesus Christ in his eternal kingdom. And so we do pray, come, Lord Jesus, come. And we pray this in your mighty name. Amen.